Hi, I'm Tyler Saltzen, pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship in Peru, Illinois. Our desire at Grace Bible Fellowship is to proclaim the Word of God for the glory of God. At the center of our proclamation is the one who is Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. We base who we are and what we do upon the good news of Jesus. If you would like to know more about this good news or would like to know more about Grace Bible Fellowship, please visit our website at www.gbfperu.org. That's www.gbfperu.org. I'm glad you've decided to listen to the teaching of the Bible along with us as we seek to understand it and be transformed by it. I hope you find this time meaningful, challenging, convicting, joyful, and even life-changing as we worship through the preaching of God's Word. So I'd like to draw our attention this morning to the Gospel according to John, beginning in chapter 1. If you've looked in your bulletin, we will go through multiple texts this morning, so beginning in John chapter 1, verses 4 through 13, and then we will go to John 3, 19 through 21, and then 8, 12, and finish with 12, 46. As we are going through our Advent series of why Jesus had to come into this world, that it was an absolute necessity. And so for us to hear, even from God's Word, from the Bible, to even hear from Jesus' own lips, His own mouth, why is it that He had to come? Why was it so important? Why was it necessary? That we might then tell others as well why it's necessary. So would you stand with me as we read God's Word out of reverence and respect for God's Word. Let's read these passages together. Beginning in John 1, verse 4. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him. Who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, chapter 3, beginning in verse 19. And this is the judgment the light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked hates 
does wicked things, hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And now chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Finally, chapter 12, verse 46. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy Father, please give me physical strength and spiritual energy to speak your word with faithfulness, clarity, authority, passion, wisdom, humility, and liberty, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The author and master storyteller who is Charles Dickens had a special and gifted way of writing. He was particularly gifted at capturing with his pen the darkness of this world. You may see that in no one more clearly than in his character from the book A Christmas Carol, that character we know as Scrooge. Scrooge is the epitome. He is the embodiment of darkness. And Dickens paints the picture of his cold darkness well at the beginning of that book, even describing Scrooge's enormous house where he lived with little light and with little heat by stating, darkness is cheap. And Scrooge liked it. Darkness is cheap because there is nothing there. But what soul would remain in darkness? Like the darkness. Even revel in darkness. Perhaps we could say that Scrooge's lifeless heart is how In the line which in the wardrobe, the land of Narnia was first described, that his heart was always winter, but never Christmas. But why is it that Dickens' story starts out this way? Why does he start with coldness, darkness, and lifelessness? 
because Dickens knows the condition of mankind. You see, A Christmas Carol is a creation story. It is a new creation story. It is a redemption story. It is a resurrection story where a man, Scrooge, was dead to begin with. But by the end, he has been brought from death to life. He's been transferred and transformed out of darkness into light. And it is this story that so resonates with us because like any story, it reflects the grand story that's put into action and that is caused to happen by our sovereign creator God. It is the redemption story that we read about in the Bible. And Dickens starts right where the Bible starts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. But we know from the beginning, God spoke. And He spoke His word. And He did not say, let there be darkness No, rather God spoke into the darkness and overcame the darkness with those four little words, let there be light. And there was light. And God never said to the darkness that darkness was good, but God saw the light and said that the light is good. It did not take long, however, for all that was right and good and true to become wrong and bad and false, twisted because of sin. Darkness was once again over the world. This is the most appropriate place to start because this darkness is the reality that we know because of sin. We live in a fallen world, a world that is cursed with death because of the sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve. And so we enter into an environment of darkness. But not only is our environment fallen, not only is our world that we live in fallen, but our very own condition. Our own souls are even plagued by this darkness from the very beginning of our lives. Darkness rightly describes us in our fallen sinful condition. Everyone is born into a condition of sin and misery. Everyone is a Scrooge. Darkness describes the despair of every person left in their sin. And we know it from experience in this world of darkness. We know it from the inner darkness in us. It's not an uplifting experience. Rather, it is an oppressive experience. It haunts us. And while some might say that they like the darkness, pretend like the darkness has so much to offer them with all of its cheapness and its coldness and its lifelessness, truth be told, it scares them to death, and then enter the parallel that we have at the beginning of John's gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. 
what are we talking about here? We're talking about a new age. We're talking about an age that dawns that is different than the age that was before because with the dawning of this age comes a new creation. And how does that creation come about? Through the very powerful, very real, very necessary word of God. And this word of God that comes into the world, it's not a thing, it's a person. A person who brings with him life. It is what God created in the beginning. After creating light and the lights to rule the day and the night, what does God do? God creates life. And so, in this one, in the word of God, is life. New life. Life that would be the resurrection life. It is the light of man. That is all mankind. That is the light everyone desperately needed. This is not just light for some people. It is the light for everyone precisely because everyone is a sinner. Everyone is in their sin and separated from God. It is Jesus Christ, the incarnate word, who took on flesh and dwelt among us, the eternal son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It is he who came into this world as light. Not as one light among many. Not as a particularly beautiful light that is more beautiful than other lights. No. He is the light. The light that mankind and the world needed. The only light that would do anything. The only light that could do anything. And it is he, the light, who has come into the world that shines. That is what light does. It shines. It is the very purpose, the express nature of light, to shine. Jesus is the light that shines. He is the light that Israel had been waiting for, the light that they should have been looking for. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Here it is again. People walking in darkness, dwelling in the land of deep darkness. Darkness was all that they knew, and they knew it well. And what was it going to take to overcome this darkness? A great light. A light that was going to shine on them. A light so bright and so powerful that it would cause the darkness to flee. A light that does something both about the environment, the world in which they lived, and was also powerful enough to do something inside of them, to change their condition, to transform their heart. We also hear this in Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be upon you, and nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Darkness covering everything, the earth, 
thick darkness upon the people. But we see here the light is the Lord who rises. And the glory of the Lord is what shines upon the people. And then the nations, the kings, come to this light. And what do they do? When they come to the light, the light shines on them, they come to the light. What do they do when they get into the light? They worship the Lord. Do you see why the light is so necessary? Light speaks a word of hope to us. And it says this. It says, light wins. Darkness doesn't win. Light overcomes the darkness. When you see the light, when you know the light, when you respond the way that you are supposed to respond to the light, then the light speaks a word of victory. The light shines in the darkness and it wins. For all of the talk in our world and in our culture about being on the right side of history, the right side of history, my friends, is on the side of light. It's on the side of the true light that has come into this world. The right side of history is to be on Jesus' side. You will never be on the right side of history if it is divorced from Christ. If that side has anything to do with sin or darkness, it will not win. But the light did not come into this world for us to hold it at arm's length. The light did not come for us to treat it like we treat a neighborhood full of houses decorated for Christmas. We drive through that neighborhood. We oogle over all the lights. We say things like, look at that house. Wow, it's great. How do they get all of those lights in all of those places? Amazing. How do they synchronize their lights to the Trans-Siberian Orchestra? Awesome. And yet, is that what we might ever do with Jesus? Hold him at arm's length. Drive through the Bible, peering through the windows. Wow, look at that. Amazing. Awesome. And yet it never penetrates our hearts. Like what James says, we've looked at ourselves intently in the mirror and have gone away and forgotten because we were only hearers of the word and not doers of the word. You see, that is why the light has come. It's come to fundamentally change you. It comes to transforms you, transform you. It comes to reorient your way of thinking, your way of living, the affections of your heart, everything. Jesus coming into this world to shine as a light affects you personally. And so what does the Bible say? That Jesus, shining at the light, does in your heart. Well, first, four things. First, this morning. You can follow along there in your bulletin if that is helpful. Jesus coming to shine clears away the confusion about God. Jesus coming to shine clears away your confusion about God. Have you ever slept in a place that is unfamiliar? A hotel, 
family member's house, friend's house. It's not your usual bed. The room is oriented differently, and you wake up in the middle of the night pitch black. You're groggy and dazed and confused. And if you're like me, in the middle of that haze, you have to try to figure out where you are and which way you need to go. In our own houses, in our own beds, we do it effortlessly. We do it without thinking. We know where everything is. But somewhere else, someplace unfamiliar, in that moment of confusion, if it does not clear away, you might do what I've done before, walked right into a wall. This is what the darkness in our world and the spiritual darkness in us does. It disorients us. It confuses us. We can fill our our minds and eyes with fog and haze so that we do not see clearly. And not only does it make us lose our way in this world more tragic, it causes people to be confused about God. Who is God? Does God even exist? Is God even there? And left to ourselves and left in that darkness, mankind begins to confuse God. They exchange the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Look at this world. Look at how much confusion there is about God. Look at how much confusion there is even with people who call themselves Christians. Why is this? Because we've moved away from the light. You cannot have Christless Christianity. Because the only way that you will ever know what is true about God, the only way that you will know the truth about God is from the light, Jesus Christ. And that should also tell us something. Jesus is called the true light. There are things out there that could parade in this world, parade themselves as false lights. There could be philosophies, ideas, even doctrines out there of people who say they are spreading the light, that they are giving light. Oprah, Deepak Chopra, Rob Bell, I could go on and on and on, but They are not the true light. Nor do they know or have the true light, but they only give out darkness. The true light, the only true light, is in the light that comes from the true God. God is true. His very nature and character is true. He is truth. He cannot be anything other than true, and his light is the true light. It is this true light that gives light to everyone. Some translations say that this light enlightens everyone. The light knows no barriers. It knows no limitations. It enlightens everyone because the true light is spreading an accurate and true knowledge of God. The true light is providing an understanding about God, is revealing God in such a way that there is no other place, there is no other source where you can get this knowledge or understanding other than from the true light. 
Jesus shines as the light to clear away all of the confusion about God and to give you a right and true understanding of who God is. He explains God like anyone can because he is God come in the flesh. And our world will try to minimize that. They will say, do you really believe Do you really believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Do you really believe that he is the light? Do you really believe that he is the exclusive, the only way to know God? And what is our answer going to be? What is your answer going to be in those moments? Is it going to be, yes, because he is God come in the flesh, the Bible says this, John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's right side. He, that's Jesus Christ, has made him known. He has explained to us God. Jesus shines as the light to reveal and disclose God to humans. It's not something that we can figure out on our own. If we do, if we try, we only make a mess of it. But Jesus does it perfectly, so much so that later in John's gospel, Jesus says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. This true knowledge of God is absolutely necessary for us because there is no other way to have a relationship with God without this true knowledge and true understanding. It is the foundation necessary for us to have life. Because apart from God, there is no life. Is there any confusion in your mind about who God is? About what he has done? Confusion about his existence? This is not a confusion that you want to remain. It can be cleared away. Don't ignore the light of Jesus, but come to him so that all of that confusion can be cleared away. Number two. Jesus coming to shine cuts your heart with conviction. Jesus coming to shine cuts your heart with conviction. We know that the light has come because there is a problem. Not just in our world, but there's also a problem in us. And it needs to be resolved. It needs to be remedied. It needs to be healed. How does this happen? It happens through exposure to the light. No one cleans their house in darkness because they can't see the dirt. Like one woman who was to have her husband interviewed in her house. And so before that interview took place, she went to the task of cleaning her house, making it spotless. The time for the interview came. The people came with all of their equipment. They set up their cameras. They set up their lights. And when those lights, those camera lights, shone in her house, she saw all of the dirt that she had missed. That's what happens when the light comes. 
It exposes, exposes the dirt that's there. And so the light of Jesus shines, exposes sin and guilt that is in the human heart. We heard from John 3 that this is the judgment, that light has come into the world. Praise God that light has come into the world, right? Praise God that he would send his light into the world, right? Praise God that we love the light, right? But that is not the case. What happens when light comes into the world? It reveals what people really love. It shows where their affections truly lie. It says that people loved the darkness rather than the light. Why do they love the darkness? Because their deeds were evil. They were doing evil, vile things. They were sinning against God, going against Him and His ways, breaking every one of His commandments. That is the condition of fallen mankind. That is the condition of those who are left in their sin. And it it causes us, when we're tempted to say, well, that, that person's such a good person. Does that person love the light? Does that person want to be in the light? Because the Bible says that there's only two categories. You either love the light or you love the darkness. And it's no exaggeration to say that they, those who love darkness, are cockroaches. Isn't that what the Bible says? They're cockroaches. How dare I say such a thing? They're so spreading their disease and germs everywhere they go under the cover of darkness. But as soon as you walk in the room and you flip on the light, they scatter to every nook and cranny looking for some place to hide. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest what? Lest his deeds be exposed by the light. And what happens when you are exposed? You are found guilty. You are found wanting. Your awful and miserable state is shown for what it really is. Spiritually bankrupt. But those who come to the light are cleansed by the light. They have been convicted by their sin. They have not held on to their sin. They have repented of their sin. They have turned from their sin. They have confessed their sin to God. And now they do what is true and they so come to the light to show that what they have done has been carried out in God. Notice the whole purpose of their life now is to do things to honor and glorify Him. Jesus shines as the light to bring moral purity into people's lives. But that only comes through conviction of sin. That only comes through the sin being cut out of your heart and your life. And it's not pleasant. Rather, it's painful. But we should see it as God's grace that he would care enough about me not to let me remain in my sin, but to cut me 
to the heart to convict me of my sin, to bring me to my knees in humble repentance and confession. As Peter preached the gospel on the temple that day of Pentecost and told those men, you have crucified and killed and murdered Jesus, that you and I and our sin are just as guilty as they were and that like them, we should be cut to the heart and cry out, what shall we do? And that we would hear the word repent. Seize God's gift of repentance. And know the forgiveness of your sins. Dear brother and sister, as Christians, we are not above conviction. And we never get to the place where conviction has no place in our lives. If conviction of sin is missing in your heart and in your life, you need to examine and see if you truly are a Christian. Listen to what one Puritan named Thomas Watson says. Sin clamors inwardly and men loathe to look into their hearts lest they should find that which should trouble them. It affords little pleasure to read the handwriting on the wall of conscience. Many Christians are like tradesmen who are sinking in their estates They are loath to look over their books or cast up their accounts lest they should find their estates in a poor state. So they loathe to look into their guilty heart lest they should find something there which should affright them. You need to examine yourself, look and see if there is sin. And dear Christian, when you find that sin, burn it. Pray. Pray now, pray fervently and say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Number three, Jesus coming to shine calls you into the very presence of God. Jesus coming to shine calls you into the very presence of God. There was a correlation in the mind of the Jews that needs to be, it must be in our minds, if we're to make sense of the fact that Jesus is the light shining. And it's this. The Jews associated light with the very presence of God. This began all the way back in the Exodus. When God delivered the people from the hand of Pharaoh, from the land of Egypt, he led them in the wilderness, and it says this in Exodus 13. Verses 21 and 22. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Here is the very presence of God going before the people of God as light to lead them, to guide them, to bring them to the place where God will be with them. Even as Moses was constructed was instructed to construct the tabernacle. What was it there in the tabernacle? A lampstand, seven lights. God's divine number in the lampstand was to be attended to so that the light would never go out to speak of God's enduring presence among his people. 
the Lord God himself, his presence so closely connected to light. Psalm 27.1, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? Jesus Christ, coming as the light. Him, standing up during the Feast of Tabernacles, as they were lighting enormous lampstands around the temple grounds in celebration of God's provision in the Exodus, stands up and says, I am the light of the world. That would have an impact because Jesus was saying, the very presence of God is in your midst. And we know this from John 1.14 as well. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as from the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. God tabernacled, He dwelt, He lived among us. He is the very presence of God. He has come to dwell with us. And when you look at this one, this light, you see the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. How is it, though, that Jesus' light shining calls us into the very presence of God? How can we be in the very presence of God and not die? How is it that we're able to get close to God? How is it that we're able to have a relationship with God to see this kind of light, particularly the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ? We are able to approach the very presence of God because he who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is absolutely crucial that we get this. Jesus, shining as the light, calls us into the presence of God and does that because God has saved us. There is no one else who can save us. We need the light, the very presence of God, because there is no other way that we can be saved than by the work of God himself. The light is connected to salvation and life. Luke 2, 29 through 32 Is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Jesus has come as the light shining, bringing salvation. That's why he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Salvation is life. It's not merely God who accomplishes salvation for us and does that work in our hearts, but also makes it possible for us to respond to the call so that we can go into and enter the very presence of God. Is that what you know? Is that what you know from from being saved, that you would know the presence of God in your life? That you would know his leading and his guiding and his care and his provision for you. That you would know that kind of light. Number four, 
Jesus coming to shine commands you to live in his light. Jesus coming to shine commands you to live in his light. So far, we have been examining the purpose of Jesus shining, the light shining. But now we come to the fact that there is a response that must be made regarding this light. There must be a response to Jesus. This response is described in a few different ways. It says that in John 1, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. Notice the language here. Receiving or not receiving Jesus Christ. Those who should have received him. Those who were looking for the Messiah. They knew what to look for. They should have known better. His own people did not receive him, but others did. And so this response, in one way, is described as receiving or not receiving. It's described another way in John 12, 46. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. In this verse, Jesus describes the response as that of either belief or unbelief. You either believe in him or you remain in unbelief. We cannot overlook this important truth. The gospel calls for a response. Repent and believe. And that is what the gospel call does. It calls people to respond. And if you've never heard the gospel call, if you've never responded to the gospel call, then don't try to convince yourself that you are saved. The right response is important. Because that is how God brings us into salvation. It's how he saves us through this response that he brings us to. And so that might be the response that you need to make today. Repent of your sin and believe in Jesus Christ. Trust him. Come to the light. Do not remain in darkness. Do not remain in your sin. Do not remain loving the darkness. Come to the light and let the light of Christ be in your life. And then you will know life. And then you will know joy. And then you will know the one who will make everything right. The right response is important. And with such a response comes a commandment with the way that now you are to live your life. Our lives as Christians are to be lived in His light. And if you live in His light, what does John 12, 46 say? You will not remain in darkness. If you believe in Jesus Christ, the true light shining, you will not remain or abide in darkness. Why is that? Because now you remain or abide in Christ. Where once darkness oriented everything about your life, now Christ orients everything about your life. He changes you, the way you live, the way you think, your very will. And what does that look like? What does it look like when you live in his light? Let's look at a few things. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You can turn there if that's helpful. 1 Peter 2, verse 9 says this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? What's the result of such, the, of such an action that's taken place in our lives? 
that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What does it look like when you live in Christ's light? You proclaim him. You proclaim what he has done for you. He has called you out of darkness. He's called you out of your sin. He's called you out of death into his marvelous light. What's my problem? Maybe what's your problem? Do I see his light as marvelous? Is Jesus' light marvelous in your life? Marvelous that he has called you. You who sat and walked and dwelt in darkness. He's called you into his marvelous light. What do you want to do when that becomes your reality? I have to proclaim it. I must proclaim it. I must tell other people about his excellent greatness. I cannot keep it to myself. I cannot let people continue on in their darkness. They need to know about Christ's marvelous light. What else do you do? 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Praise God for that. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth, but... If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. What does it look like to live in the light? It says this, if you walk in the light, you will have fellowship with one another. You will live and you will love one another. You will love Christ's church. You will love the people of this church. If you are in this church, you will love the people. You will live for them. You will have fellowship with them. You will find ways to get into their lives and let them get into your lives because you are walking in the light. You will have fellowship with one another. If you say you have fellowship with God, If you say that you're walking in the light, but you don't have fellowship with one another, what does he say? You lie and you do not practice the truth. If you are in Christ's light, you're going to fellowship with one another. You're going to love each other. It's going to be evident, and I don't think you could separate these two things. It says, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This is not a... Pick and choose. Like, well, I don't want to have fellowship with my brothers and sisters, but I want the blood of Jesus that cleanses us. Guess what? If you're not going to fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe shows the blood of Jesus Christ hasn't cleansed you from your sin. That is massive. One more. Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, if you would turn there with me. If, if you haven't turned to the other passages, please turn to this one. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 8. It 
For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when, every, when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look at that last verse. Let's just focus on that last verse for a moment, and let me ask you a question. Who is that verse speaking to? And now I'll give you multiple choice. Is that verse speaking to unbelievers? Or is that verse speaking to believers? And I would say that that verse is speaking to believers. This verse, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you, is not a call for evangelism, it's a call for discipleship. And it's Paul saying this, Ephesians, you who call yourself Christian, you are sleeping, you are dead. You need the, Christ, the, the light of Christ to shine upon you. Don't live like dead people. Don't walk in darkness. Don't have anything to do with that world. Live like Christians. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. And how many of us say, well, that's not me. That's exactly us. This is exactly the verse that I need because my propensity is to fall asleep. My propensity is to act like a dead person. But what do I need? I need Christ to shine on me and in me and through me so that I no longer look like someone who is walking in darkness, no longer look like the world, but that I walk as a children of Light. It makes me think of Revelation chapter 3. Jesus speaking to this church in Sardis. He says this, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive. But you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. That is a wake-up call, my friends, if there's ever a wake-up call. You who have the reputation of being alive. The people in Sardis thought that they were okay. Thought that they were good. Thought that they had all of their doctrine in place. They knew their Bibles really well. They had the reputation. Who's alive? Well, that church in Sardis, if any church is alive, they are alive. That's what other people thought about them. That's what other people said about them. But what does Jesus say about them? You are dead. Wake up. Wake up. Is that the word that we might need to hear this morning? Wake up. Christ, shine on you. 
Walk as children of light. Don't cover up evil things, but as the light, you expose them. And live in the light of Christ. Live in the light of Christ and love to live in the light of Christ. Why? Because one day, that's all that you will live in if you are a Christian. Revelation 21, 23-24, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its light and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Live in the light now. Live in Christ's light now, because you will live in his light forever. Let's pray. Father, we hear those words, for at one time you were darkness. That was us. But now, those who have known you, those who have come to know you, those who have responded to the light, are now light in the Lord. Help us. We need your help to walk as children of light. To not take part in the unfruitful works of darkness that are in this world. But instead to expose them. And let the light that we live in, in Christ, shine out of us so that others might see it as well. We don't want the reputation of being alive, but being dead. We want Christ to shine on us. Take a moment and think about these things we've talked about this morning. Do you have a true knowledge of God? Has that confusion been taken away? Do you have conviction of sin this morning? Have you been called to the very presence of God? Do you know Him? Do you have a relationship with Him? Do you know His grace? And are you living in Christ's light? Talk to him now. Pray to him. Father, hear these prayers of your saints. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.